Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Ed, here we are once again, another week. Crazy thing is, this week, man, we're actually doing a show. It's about the title of the show, which is Influence, man. And I'll tell you, the article that uh, we we studied and we've looked over, I really find it to be uh, not only reassuring, but also informing at the same time. Yeah, I like these. uh, These are good articles. So I told you before, one of my things I like to do is I like to kind of read something. Thank you, Bearded Ninja, to start my day when I get to work. And these are the articles that are ideal for that. These NCO journal articles, you know, we've used from the Green Notebook before. Those kind of short, quick hit articles are so much better for that. And you still get something out of it. Like, like uh, hopefully the audience finds out today from this article. And with that, we'd like to have a word from our sponsor. If you're a man with a beard, no hair, and just grizzled chest, and you're looking for just the right amount of beard balm, made of snake venom and pomade, then it's the Bearded Ninja Pomade. Nowhere sold, nowhere found. <laughs> it's only imaginary. <laughs> Poor man. Every time we say his name, man, <laughs> every time we say his name, I feel like we've got to uh, you know, do an advertisement or something yeah. for him. It's like we're getting paid to talk about him. <laughs> but you know what, though, Ed? It kind of reminds me because the fact that you said, you you, you mentioned about him and, and the fact that you kind of learned uh, it's one of those things that you've picked up about, you know, getting that one small article to read. I find myself kind of doing the same thing uh, throughout the day. And then we reference throughout. I would definitely have to say that when we get into this, this particular study we did, and it's an article for those of you out there, I'm going to make sure I, I put the hyperlink. Uh, it's an article found in the NCO journal. It's called the value of influence. And it was actually written by a Sergeant major Kenneth Farley. Now, I'm not familiar with him. He's from the 4th Infantry Division, which is where I'm going. And it just he goes over, there's basically two different types of influence. And I find that the Bearded Ninja himself is, I felt like, is one of these. And he has even said, though, when we would talk to him, that he actually had tendencies in the other side of it, too. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to get into that. And I just felt that it's it's kind of crazy how you brought that up and... It actually that's a that's a big part of what we're going to talk about. Yes, Pat, and you're an influence as well. Uh, yeah, no, it kind of does go hand in hand. I didn't even do that on purpose either. That was just a uh, just you know instinctive. It just happened. Random. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but you think about it. A lot of times, that's how you know when we because normally we talk before the show, and we did. We talked before the show started. Uh, this recording, we always do it. We talk for you know chit chat for I don't know goodness half hour forty five minutes sometimes. Yeah. And usually we take from whatever we talked about, and we kind of ingrain that in the beginning of the show. Versus we really didn't talk about this, but it is one of those things that we just know in the back of our head that, you know, you and I were influenced by him a certain way and we don't realize how much we value that. And that's what the article is about value of influence. We don't realize how much we value that. And we continue on doing those uh, types of actions that we were influenced to do. 
Yeah, I mean, and and that's good. That and that just shows it speaks. You know, we've done episodes on legacy and stuff. That speaks to the legacy of them. That speaks to their influence on us. And to me, it's really weird because at the time when I'm working for him, I'm not thinking of it that way. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not thinking, hey, you know, this has been, I mean, months, like 16 months down the line. Uh, I'm not, you know, going, oh, in 16 months, I'm going to read articles because that's what, you know, that's what the Bearded Ninja kind of has shown me helps to get his day started. It's just happened. Yeah, exactly. And and we'll tell you the truth. It feels like it's it was the right move to make because every time we get to do this, it kind of helps us with the show in itself. But I think we should just jump right into this, Ed. I, uh, I, I'm, there's a lot here to kind of cover over. I really do enjoy, you know, how he broke it down and, you know, with the value of influence, it's really about how we value influence and use it in a sense. You know, there's, there's exercising power to influence. And then there's two different types we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about personal power and then also positional power. And, and I really like how he broke this down. So let's, let's jump right into this right off the bat. He says influence is the ability to alter another person's beliefs, values, actions, or thoughts. This ability is based off a trusting relationship that can take time to establish and maintain. And then he has this quote. It's from Cameron Bishop, basically at Forbes. Leadership is more than just having authority over other employees. Strong leadership exists at every level of an organization. Effective leadership positively influences your team and others around you. As an influencer, you naturally move people towards success by the way you carry yourself, your reputation, your credibility, and how you communicate. Influencers exhibit behaviors that people appreciate and want to replicate. I feel like almost that that particular quote kind of sums up where we've gone with this show. Uh, you know, I've talked about it before, you know, there's what's considered the uh, social media influencers, which to me is really not leadership It's just kind of like getting people to follow you a certain direction. And it's probably not for the greatest of reasons. A lot of times it's just to make money off of versus we're actually talking about influencing in a leadership manner to get people to be able to become their better selves in a sense. Yeah, it's kind of funny, because I told you earlier, we have these shows that we, you know, we got mapped out for the listeners. And this week, you know, you and I sat down last week and said, right, we're going to record these shows on this date, this show on this date. And I prepped a show that is going to kind of speak to what you're talking about right now. Um, when we do the uh, when we do the show, the six space with the six basic tendencies of human behavior. So that's why these influencers exhibit behaviors that people appreciate and want to replicate. We're going to talk about why that is as far as human behavior in that episode. So it's just funny that I prepped the wrong episode, but it kind of helps out with this episode moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad you, it's kind of cool that you've already got it all prepped, even though we're not going to probably record it for a little bit. And I think actually that show's coming out in like three or four from this one. So it'll be a little bit down the road, yeah. but <laughs> I mean, it's still good that you yeah. can reflect upon it now and then reflect upon it later. And I love the idea of the human behavior part because if, if it's kind of ingrained in us in, in the human behaviors, we tend to fall back on it more kind of like muscle memory versus if it's unnatural, then it doesn't feel right. And then we tend to uh, basically 
kind of let it just fall to the wayside and ignore it and don't ever do it again. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, for us, from the military side of the house, influence, when we talk about influencers exhibit behaviors, well, that's what we're always taught, right? Leave from the front, be the example, set the example, because we're trying to set the example to make those soldiers want to replicate that. And then therefore we can leave the army. You and I can retire finally in a few years, who knows how long, <laughs> but we know that we're leaving the army in good hands because we, we did exhibit those behaviors that the soldiers, junior soldiers wanted to replicate at the senior level. You you say that Ed, and I would have to say that that has not, that wasn't my focus probably until I would say about a year before, about maybe two years before going to the academy. I didn't have that general idea. But then I, I want to say something kind of clicked in me, and it was about two years before I went to Academy. It's, well, it was probably around the time that I met Sergeant Major O'Brien. Uh, I thought so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, it felt like that I wanted to help groom those who need to take my place. Now, we are supposed to do that early, early on. You know, uh, if you're a if you're a specialist, you want to groom that private to become your, you know, in your position, so you can move on and be a sergeant. And a sergeant wants to groom that specialist, and so on and so forth. But I didn't think it as such. Even though I I liked teaching people stuff and all that, I didn't just didn't think of it that way. But now it's just like I feel as if though that is my primary job in the army. Period is to ensure that those behind me. And I don't want to say behind me because they are, I, I consider them as walking beside me, but those who are junior are not mm-hmm. left behind and they're brought forward uh, knowledge wise. And, and we talked about in the knowledge and wisdom that, that they learn the way that things go and, and they can actually use it through wisdom and just kind of, you know, build on. And this article really speaks to that to me when I think about it. Hey, so I got a question for Brian, because I know we're trying to get into the article, but this really, so you said about two years before you came to the academy, right? Yes. And then you correlated that with the arrival of Sergeant Major Bryant. Yes. Correct? Yes. So would you, so I, the question is, it, how much impact does Sergeant Major Bryant's arrival and his behaviors as a leader influencer, how much does that play, do you think that played a role and you making that decision at that point, because it's just weird that those two things line up. Your mentor at the, that you didn't know at the time, but your future mentor arrives and then you decide, hey, you know what? I need to take this next uh, next right turn and change my course. So how, how much do you think that impacted you? Oh, I think it, it was uh, I would say if. I took a, a diagram and I said, oh, how the percentage was, I definitely say 85% out of a hundred was him and the learning. And it was just, I loved how he not only, not only treated people, interacted with people. I also loved the fact that it never, I never ever got the feeling that he was ever doing anything for personal gain ever. I'd never, and I could say I've had, I've seen leaders throughout uh, able to kind of perform, but sometimes every every once in a while, some people kind of fall back on. Well, I got to take care of myself. I never seen that with him. Now, did he do? It? Could have. I don't know. And I may I may ask him when I see him next. I mean, I'm I'm going to see him around. I want to say the beginning of March or the end of February, beginning of March. But I've never ever seen that of him. And that it just I was automatically attracted to that. And you know what's even funny, Ed? That very last paragraph, uh, uh, the last sentence in the paragraph I read that was a quote, 
It says, influencers exhibit behaviors that people appreciate and want to replicate. Mm -hmm. And I mean, right on, right there. It says, I mean, that guy, I don't even know who Cameron Bishop is of Forbes, but he got it on exactly the way I, I think it is. Yeah, I just, I, I wanted to ask because listening to you talk and knowing what I know and actually knowing who he is and having been around him, because I didn't really work for him, but I did do some things. There were some times that, you know, he provided some counsel to me too. I, I just, I could see it and I thought that it was an excellent, you know, illustration of that last, especially that last sentence. It just, that sentence sticks out. I mean, there's the whole thing is that you read, the whole blurb is great. It's that one piece that really just, uh, stuck out for me, and, and and I was curious. I mean, so we want to, and I mentioned there. I mentioned the uh, the selflessness of him, right? You remember when I was pinned? He drove all the way out f- uh, from Fort Riley, like a nine hour yeah. drive or something, to come and see it, and then drove drove back. I mean, that was not people don't just do yes, that normally. I do remember that. Yeah. yeah so that that kind of that really stuck with me, you know. And I just I see that, and I'm like, man, that's that right there, that's personal power. Because we're going to get into this. Not positional power, but that was personal power. And it moved me to, I guess you could say, even now you know, even now in the position I'm in, to do things even better or, or, or try, try to pass things on even more. You know, just small acts like that, you know. And, and I bet you, you've probably, I mean, you've talked about your previous SAR major. Uh, or he was your first SAR for a while, SAR major Wright. And the things that he did and how it, it influenced you, you know, you could you could almost uh, kind of broaden this whole subject with your experiences, too. Yeah, it, really, what he showed me is so, you know, we talk about evals and how important evals are. But to me, Sergeant Major Wright, he really he did his job and he did it to the best of his abilities. He never did his job based on how his eval was going to look. And, you know, that. It's not a lack of caring because he cared, but that focus on other things, uh, not just the self, you know, me, me, me. That's that's one thing that I really respected with him was, and he was not afraid to put you in a position that was going to challenge you and you could fail at or you could succeed at. And if you failed, then, you know, he provided that counsel and he brought you in his office and he talked to you. He didn't try to you know, knock your head off because you failed at something that he, he gave you the ability to do. He came and provided some counsel. And, and that's probably one of the big things for me that made me want to continue and keep driving on in the military. I mean, and that's been years. Like I haven't worked with him since hmm, it's been 11 years, almost 12. So yeah. yeah. Long lasting influence, man. Yes. Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, let's we're going to dive, dive right in this because we're going to talk about exercising power to influence. So, and really, what the article is, those of you listening, the article is really dealing with what's considered power, and that's how you're actually influencing people, and you're using a certain type of power. And when I get into this, you're going to be you're going to listen to us and think, "Hey, that kind of sounds a little bit like when you guys were doing." the pay the bill for leadership capital. And I'm like, yes, exactly what it is because in a sense, but we're just going to go a different twist on this. But here we go. It talks about the power of influence is not something that automatically comes with the position of leadership. There are two ways to get people to do what you want them to do. A leader exercises either their personal power or their positional power. Influence and power 
are the invigorating forces that get things done, and they are the necessary tools of a leader. Positional power derives from the organization or the position that the leader holds. Personal power exudes from the leader's expert knowledge or their motivating personality. Now, even as they got this uh, Susan Steinbrecher here, Ed, that, you know, who works for Inc., Inc.com, I think it is, basically states that it is about building relationships that result in authentic engagement. So we look back at our, our two uh, sergeant majors that we often reference or even the Bearded Ninja and we think about, did you have, do you feel like you had a relationship sort of with that, with that sergeant major or, and or Mr. Williams? Yeah, I, I definitely, uh, I definitely do. I definitely thought that it was a uh, comfortable environment and that I had a relationship where I was comfortable enough to speak to them. I can also tell you that when I came in the army the first time, 1991, that was something that we didn't have. This is something that has changed over the years. You did not have a personal relationship with anybody past your first line leader, whoever was next over you. And then that was it. You didn't like, if you saw anybody over that, then you were probably in trouble. So that's something that's kind of changed in the army over the years as we've learned more about the importance of building relationships uh, and having these authentic engagements and, and how it influences people to accomplish missions and things of that nature. What you said there, it really kind of resonates on something I just watched literally, uh, I would say about 30 minutes before you and I uh, got on here and started talking to each other. It was a Simon Simic video and it's, you know, they do the, the pub, the press tour kind of thing, or he'll go and do his speaking engagements. And his, it was on his new, his book, Infinite Game. He basically was talking about how he had done a, like an embedded type thing with Navy SEALs and he kind of queried them on, you know, what makes the ideal individual. And he had basically two different factors. One was performance. And if you looked at it kind of like a chart, right? So you'd have like the vertical uh, piece was performance and then you had the horizontal part at the bottom was trust. And he said that nobody really wants the low performance, low trust person you're not always going to get the most high performance, high trust person. But he said the one that no one wanted and felt like was the most toxic was the high performance, low trust, because they don't know if they're going to be able to rely upon them. He said they prefer having a mediocre performer with high trust, which makes sense because at the same time, okay. yeah, we think about, okay, so we think about uh, what we were talking about is I trust, sorry, Major Brian. I trust Rick Williams. I mean, I just have to reach out to Rick through a messenger and send him a message. I guarantee you, if something was going on in my house and I needed assistance, I trust him so much. Yes, Rick, I need you to go to my house. This is how you get in, blah, 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 blah. And I know he would, one, take care of it. Two, he would protect my family if I needed it because I trust him. Now, do I have a personal relationship with him that's so personal that we're like best friends and, you know, that... We, uh, we go and hang out all the time. No, I've only, to be completely honest, I've been to his house three times. One of those was to record a podcast that we interviewed with him. The other one was a fantasy football league thing, but that was a whole group of people. And another time was to pick something up from him. But that's it. You know, so it's, it's weird how we build relationships. We're thinking of relationships and some people want to think that it's like a real close and all that. And, and, we have to be careful, especially in the Army, Ed. You know just as well as I do. Relationships can also be deemed 
as fraternization. Oh, yeah. So we have to be very careful. For instance, I would say that I have a particular type of relationship with Sergeant Major Bryant, but that does not mean that he and I are best friends and we hang out and we do. I've never, I have never associated with him off duty, but it's the relationship we've built on duty that's allowed it to be our communication process. Great. I'm learning. I think he even does some learning himself. It's just those, that's what you want to look for is I like the fact that I like to go to work when he's there. You know what I mean? That's the type of thing. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a powerful thing, man. Yeah. And, and you're right. Like you, you know, and first of all, I love that you said you like to go to work. Cause that's kind of what I'm waiting for when I don't like to go to work. That's what I'm waiting for to decide to retire. But um, <laughs> the relationships are different. <laughs> and I think that the army, honestly, for the listeners, I think it, uh, some of these relationships that we have are, are unique uh, in that, you know, you could see, you could be, when I was at Fort Hood, we had a, a group of us and we were very close and we barbecued. Somebody was barbecuing on, it seemed like every weekend. Um, and then we all started going our separate ways, but you could still at today, you know, all these years later, reach out to those same people and you could kind of rekindle that relationship or re uh, ignite that relationship that you had, because that's just how the army side is. That's, uh, I think that's one of the things that's unique about what we do, but <clears throat> those relationships that you build, you know, and the trust and, you know, I, I would agree with you a hundred percent that, uh, if you called Rick Williams, then whatever you need, it was going to probably happen. But those are relationships that, you know, you nurture over time. It's just, we nurture them a little different than people who are in the civilian sector, probably. Yeah. And Ed, I, th- I think that uh, we could relate this very much to the civilian sector in itself. If people can just look at the whole, we got to keep it professional, but at the same time, it's okay to have a little personality within it's just you got to be careful that it doesn't it doesn't uh basically overshadow what needs to get done and i think that kind of builds trust too because if i know what you're thinking if if i as a leader in any organization civilian or military i know that you feel comfortable to approach me and talk to me about something and it may be as a decision that i made and you would just want either want it clarified or you want to uh explain a better way to do it then I know we have the right relationship as the leader. Now, as a subordinate, if I know I can approach that person and I can talk to them, have a general conversation and not have to worry about, is this person going to uh, you know, yell at me? Are they going to, uh, they're going to completely just uh, basically put me down, things like that. And mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt my feelings to have that. It's just all that tells me is I don't trust that person. And if I don't trust you, then I'm not going to probably be around you very long. Yeah, no, those are those are all um, very valid points because, the, like I said, the personal power, personal relationships, I I think they're I think they're important, especially you know we've talked about team development. I think that it plays a huge role in that as well. Positional power is different, and I think that uh, positional power maybe isn't. Um, it's a respect thing, but I don't. In my mind, it's not really a powerful building block for a team where the personal power, I think is more of a, it's more of a building block when you're trying to, you know, create this great team in your organization. Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Ed, because we're actually, we're actually going to get into personal power and positional power. We're going to start right off the bat with personal power. And I've got a few sentences here and I think we're going to get to stop at certain points in it that we can actually kind of expand upon that uh, right off the bat. It says personal power 
is the ability of the leader to inspire others to commit to the team's needs. See, in that, it's talking about an individual or others, individuals, and the leader and the team. And what it does is it's basically saying, I'm, to me, I'm taking a group of people, I'm able to get them to work together and become a team to meet whatever the project, task, mission, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but then here he goes, getting an individual to commit to a common cause is based on trust with that leader. In order for leaders to gain commitment, they have to have ownership of their cause. Now, Ed, I mean, have, have there been times, let me ask you this, because I can tell you, it, it, I, I know the answer for mine, but have there been times where you just didn't feel like you owned something enough and you weren't giving it your all and you knew it was just going to fail because you just didn't like it? Uh, there's things, you know, here, because we do a lot of planning, uh, sometimes if you're the alternate planner, I just, I'm not as committed as the alternate because I just, I, I don't feel like, especially if depending on the, um, the primary is because some of these guys, they have such powerful personalities and they, once they take control of something, it's theirs and they're not, you know, they didn't watch Barney growing up. They're not trying to share. <laughs> so those are the instant. I'm not going to say that, you know, I'm like, Oh, that's going to fail. But I can say that I, there are times when I feel like I'm not contributing everything that I could because it's kind of like, it's not mine. I'm really, it's his, he's, he's his strong personality. He just took over. It's, he's the primary. I'm just here to go to meetings. He can't attend kind of thing. So, so I want to make sure I get this right. Basically you're kind of saying that like their uh, thoughts and ideas are what's going to drive the entire thing and not using feedback from others. Yeah, so they 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 lack that. Uh, they don't, you know. Some of them, uh, their personalities and and their ideas are so they're so overbearing that they don't really consider what you're saying at that point. There's only certain there's onesies twosies, but when you get teamed up with them, it makes it difficult for you as a person to really get in and take some ownership because you know it's like every time I suggest something you know, it kind of gets, eh, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to do it this way though. So mm. yeah, it, it is, yeah. it's a challenge and it's difficult and, and it doesn't happen frequently, but I have been a part of uh, a mission like that. Now my relationship with that particular person changed over the last few months and I openly will tell them, all right, you're just trying to do too much. Like we're going to work mm. together. So, um, and, and it took a while for me to come to that realization and to have that personal relationship that I would felt like I could tell them, Hey, you, you don't have to do it all. I need a piece of this pie. You can have three slices, but I want the fourth slice of the pie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's funny that you said that because we're talking about, we are talking about the trust factor and with trust, it just takes time to build. It's not like right off the bat. I say, and this is a Simon Sinek saying too, not me. I, I tell you, Hey, trust me. And automatically you will, we don't have that. And I think that's where, when I said uh, pay the bill for leadership capital comes into play here. That's it takes time to go through that. But my example, Ed, I have a feeling you may relate to this. My example is dealing with PRT or physical readiness training. When it initially came out from then until, and I want to say it came out, what about 2010 ish? Roughly around that time. Yeah. So when it initially came out up until I became an instructor at the BLC. 
all the way, basically all the way up to it. I did not believe in that system. I did not have a, I didn't support it. I didn't have a cause in it. And I feel like I failed those around me because I didn't believe in it, because I didn't realize what it incorporated and what we could go, you know, go into. I only saw the basics of things and I didn't understand, you know, and after, after having to study it and learn it and then, and then uh, basically teach others about it, I realized, wow, this does play a big factor. Now, there are there certain things that I don't like? Yeah, there's still certain things I don't care for. I think we should be able to go away with. But at the same time, I have an invested, I, I'm invested in it. Uh, I find it valuable to be able to support it now. And because I can support it, I can get other people to help me support it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because a lot of people, you know, when PRT came out, man, it was a lot of people that didn't um, embrace it. And and so basically what you're saying is what, what a lot of people went through is we were all from the old school thought process of the army that that wasn't going to work. And I'm with you. So I, I knew it enough to get by, but I did because I had to do it at uh, uh, ALC. I had, to, I had to be evaluated, I believe. No, SLC. Anyway, so I knew enough to get by, but until you really dig into it and you really understand it and you learn to execute it correctly, uh, I also, I wasn't a fan of it. I didn't really, I tried not to do it, you know, but then eventually you, you do and you do realize things work. I guess the Army paid all that money for it. I, we should have known better, but mm-hmm. yeah, that was, that, is, that was a difficult uh you know, just overcoming it and accepting it uh, during that time period in 2000. I think it was 2010. Yeah, I do think I think so, too. But that's exactly what I meant by a cause. Like we we uh, we weren't actually we didn't have ownership of that particular cause. And that's what it talks about in this article. And then the writer continues on with when leaders foster commitment. They are able to inspire others. So fostering commitment and it's, it's accepting it, accepting it as yours. And then others will also, because they're going to follow you be, because of your personal power. This style of leadership works to build trust in and from subordinates. This relationship becomes the catalyst that encourages and inspires teams to go above and beyond the minimum required of them. A leader is only a as powerful as their team. I, that I, I truly believe that. If the team yeah, is weak, too. the leader <laughs> it usually means the leader is weak. If the leader yeah. is strong, in most cases, if it's a good strong leader, they're going to get the performance they need out of because it. it trickles down. I really feel like, and I've seen it. I saw it when I mentioned about Sergeant Brown. I've seen it. It trickles down. That that influence, that inspiration, it 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 works. So let me ask you your thoughts on this, where it talks, you know, it talks about, you know, trust uh, in and from the subordinates. And then he also goes and encourages, inspires teams to go above and beyond the minimum required. What what are you thinking about that? So I do believe in the the whole team uh, being as strong as the leader. So if you remember when we read, um, you and I both have read Extreme Ownership and they talk in it about the boat crew. And the one boat crew is like dead last in all their races that they have to do, right? And the only thing they end up doing is swapping the leader for the for the last place crew and the crew that keeps winning these relays. They just switch the leader who has two different leadership styles. And Jocko goes in the book, he goes into more detail about the leadership styles. But that's all they change. And then all of a sudden, the last place crew is now like first or second and more competitive 
And the first place crew is down towards the bottom of the pack. And it was just as simple as that leader's uh, impact and influence. So that's one of those personal power things and how you lead and, and how the team responds to your leadership. I think uh, when we worked at the NCO Academy, you know, you could tell the platoons, the better platoons, you could tell based off of who their senior small group leader was. You know what I mean? You could see their influence and how it trickled down and even negatively. So if you had a negative senior small group leader, right, then that platoon tend to have uh, other issues internally or they were one of those like the whole platoon had that had a I don't care attitude. If you think back, you probably know exactly what platoon I'm talking about. So, yes, it, the, but the small group leader, we're only talking about one small group leader and four staff sergeants, right? Four small group leaders and one senior and just his role and the impact it had on that organization. And then we had a branch chief come in. And honestly, for that branch chief that came in, he was trying to be the same thing. He was trying to use his influence as a leader to trickle down to the seniors, to trickle down to the small group leaders. Uh, there was some resistance, but I do know that after he left and went on to Korea, that there was a lot of people that missed his presence. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, but I, I like, I like how you really, I, I enjoyed how you brought up the, the thing about Jocko's book extreme ownership with the boat crew. I do recommend people to read that chapter because it, it really does say something uh, to any type of leader. If you have a team that isn't performing and then a new leader comes in and they start performing, you knew what the problem was. And I'm telling you, Ed, I've seen it. I've seen it firsthand multiple times. And I can definitely say that uh, me taking over for John, he was he did a great job at everything. He he's very task oriented. He did an amazing job. We may have different personalities, that's it. But to tell you the truth, I felt like I took on a weld oiled machine from him because of you know how he developed things. I want to read this. This is a quote actually, you know, from the guy that actually writes this. He did a, he does another quote a little bit further on. So this is his quote. It says, one of the great leaders of my career and personal mentor showed me the effective leadership through personal power was through his daily and consistent actions. He would go out of his way to greet every soldier he came in contact with. Mm. This command sergeant major explained to me that respect is not deserved or granted. It is earned. Soldiers will do absolutely anything for a leader whom they respect and trust. To this day, I make a constant effort to earn the respect and trust of my subordinates. I, I love that. I love that idea. As a matter of fact, I know I've actually tried to do that you know, multiple times. Additionally, you know what I'd, I would add to this? <clears throat> Not only is saying hello to somebody uh, a good thing, but also, for instance, I don't like to... And, and now, have I, have I done it before? Yes. But I don't like to do it as much as if I see a deficiency, right? Somebody who's not doing this, something they're supposed to, not wearing the uniform correctly or, or just something's going on. I'll approach them. I will greet them. Hey, how are you doing today? And they'll greet me back. And then I'll lean closer to them. Maybe there's somebody else around because I want to make it a personal conversation between me and that individual. And for instance, say, hey, you know, you're not supposed to wear that particular hat with this uniform, right? 
and then I'll lean back to see if they say yes or no. And then I'll lean back forward again. Just as I would remind them, hey, make sure you reference the blue book. You know, you got to do the right thing even when nobody's looking. Then normally pat them on the shoulder and say, hey, thank you. And then walk away. And to me, I think that's more engaging. Now, some people are just knuckleheads and you got to go full force at them. <laughs> but I don't find I don't find that that is the automatic. That's what I'm automatically going to go to. Right. If it's somebody that's continuously that I've made corrections to over and over and over again. Yeah, now I think I'm probably going to I'm going to go straight to a full speed ahead. But that that is not something I ever fall back on. I tend to reserve that for the most drastic of cases. <laughs> Some people are just knuckleheads. That's honestly that's 100% true, but uh this this does work. This the just something so simple you think about it. So where I work now, I work on the fourth floor. And beneath me is the um, legal. Yeah, legal. Below that's the theater movement center. And yeah, yeah. I speak, man, I speak to the German local nationals that work with us. I speak to soldiers. If I pass you on that stairwell, I'm going to at least at a minimum say, morning, how are you? At minimum. And I may not stop. I'm going to keep it moving because I got work to do too, right? But that little... Not even I will say effort, but it's not even an effort to just say morning. How are you? You you don't understand the impact because people one, there's a lot of people in my organization, and soldiers remember you based off of that interaction. Man, every time he sees me, he oh, speaks yeah. to me. You know what I mean? And, and oh, yeah. each time you speak, you're gaining just a little nugget of respect. And each time, and each time, and you're building on your leadership capital with a soldier who isn't in your food chain at all they they don't work for me they don't work within my platoon my section whatever but i'm still building just a little nugget in there each time by simply saying hey good morning how was your weekend you know how was your new year whatever it is it, it, it can go a long way and it's a powerful tool for building your personal power so yeah that's i like what sergeant major uh, farley had to say there Oh yeah, man. I love that. It's, that's exactly, I mean, that's the right road to be going down. And once again, this works for anyone. It's just not just a military thing here. This, this can work for a civil or civilian organization. Absolutely. If you were, if you listen to the show and you work in a civilian organization, make it a point to say hello the first time to at least five people you've never worked with before, but they work at your organization. Just make it a point. Now they may think at first, like what is going on here? But after a while, now you do another five people, but you can't forget those five that you already said hello to. It's okay to do that. There's nothing wrong. There's no personal gain for you or that person. It just gets a little bit of uh, communication process, and then people feel comfortable with you. And yeah. that's what's key for good personal power. Yeah. All right. Hey, we got a little bit more here, Ed. Talk about leaders who use personal power generally build teams with people who are committed to the organization's goals and benchmarks. Effective ways of building trust amongst a team involve activities that rely on teamwork. Leaders have to be creative in generating ideas to bring the team together, such as scheduling team building events offsite. According to Lindsay Kolowich, team outings are a great way to facilitate bonding with your team members, reduce stress, and give them the chance to know one another outside the office. 
And I think mm. this kind of reminds me of uh, we, we had talked about an idea not too long ago. It was, I mean, it's far a little bit far fetched for us at this point. Uh, you may remember when I said, yeah, we sh- we should have like some type of like huge campground area like that has like the uh, that has the uh, little the tiny homes in it that yeah. we have people <laughs> come businesses wise, and then we'll have our uh, our what what our multiverse gym. They can go work out in the morning, and then a conference center that they could do things, but it would totally be off site. It's just an idea, but I mean, yeah. I'm just thinking how often do we, you know, does an organization get away from the work area to actually uh, do things together? I can tell you right now, Ed, the organization I'm in right now at this point up until this past September had not had an organizational day for almost three years at all. When we did the command climate survey, that was one of the main key things that people said they felt like was uh, that was lacking. They wanted just to have an organizational day. Most units I've ever been in, Ed, I don't know about you, most units I've ever been in, people are all like, oh, organized fun, forced yeah. fun, fun. You know, people don't like it. But I was shocked to know because it hadn't happened in so long that people kind of craved it, which is kind of, I don't know, it, it's kind of uh, – it helps me understand a little bit more about that human dynamic and also being able to get, you know, build bonding outside of the work area. Because sometimes you 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 need to have fun and get to know the people you work with. And, and I can only imagine what it's like in a, a, a civilian sector uh, type organization. They, they probably have, uh, I don't know, well, they uh, like company picnic or something like that. I mean, I'm guessing that that's kind of one of those things that organizations look to do also. Yeah, it's uh, so I I always have like little events. I don't like organizational day, but little all site events. I can remember being in in, uh, when we you and I were in aviation, but I was in fourth battalion first, and we did all site uh, physical training. We went to the Greenway, and we did physical training there. Like ran and and you know what it was a big hit with everybody cuz you were away from the flagpole you were in your civilian workout gear appropriate civilian workout gear and and it was just a different atmosphere uh here one of the challenges is of course we can't go off base in uniform so it takes a little more but my the person I worked for before, last he would uh plan these uh he called them fellowships and in the beginning, it was like the same two or three people would bring their civilian clothes and we would go out to eat. And then it started developing to, uh, you know, like now it's five of us. Now it's six of us. And now when he has these events, it's to the point where it's like one or two that don't show up. You know what I mean? Like, And, and mm. usually that's those people that just have a negative taste about the organization or the military. And, and, and unfortunately, that's a thing that happens. So. But it started, you know, it, it, people started looking forward to it. Hey, when are we going to do another uh, fellowship uh, Friday? So it it turned mm. into a thing that helped. And like you said, it's a team building thing. It doesn't seem like it. Like we're just going to eat, but you get out there and you have some conversations. And, you know, one of the unspoken rules was we're not going to talk about work. So, of course, you're off in the civilian sector. So you have to be cautious anyway because of uh, operational security and stuff. So you really can't speak about everything anyway. So you take the work discussions out. Well, now we get to know each other on a personal basis. We get to know more, you know, oh, he has children, his kids, my age or whatever. So those are great things. 
uh, company picnics, uh, things like that for the civilian sector, those are doable and, and uh, they're usually great events, good turnouts. You know, uh, my sister is big in with her organization. She plans events for them and uh, tries to make things unique. You know, uh, if you even think about like uh, we've, we talked about Jocko earlier in the episode, what about Jocko where he comes out and he does these speaking engagements and, you know, those type of team building and team outings, yeah, it's work-related, but it's something that breaks up the monotony and it takes you as a team to, you know, to listen to these things. And then, uh, you know, maybe whoever the speaker is has events set up to kind of reinforce what they're talking about. So, yeah, those are all awesome tools to help build uh, personal power, I think, and build your team and your organization. You know, I was thinking about it as you were talking about that, about the uh, the going out for the fellowship launches and stuff like that. It made me kind of think about when we were at the academy and we would go just grab a quick lunch in the middle of the day and it would be you, me, Rick, Quentin, Sarah, Tom. Those times, those are memorable times that actually allowed me to further trust those individuals because I felt like we just kind of connected on a different level, but we we're just getting lunch. And that's why I... I really do think that those those types of things can help. Just go get lunch as a group together and just sit around and joke for an hour for lunch and then go back to work. You know, sometimes it you would you can see uh, the the relationship building with that. But here we go. When a team works together to achieve a common goal, it builds a sense of cohesiveness. The more people that a leader gets commitment from will equate to a greater amount of passion and energy during mission accomplishment. Leaders are inherently in positions of authority, but it's up to the leader to earn the trust and respect of their subordinates to commit. I couldn't say it any better. I think we've definitely hit upon this idea of personal power and really where it comes from, and it's generating that trust and whatnot. Yeah, and it- you know, and the leaders, so this is one of the challenges for young leaders, right, is to figure out how to, I don't need, I don't want to leverage, and we're going to talk about positional power. I don't want to leverage my positional power to get things done because it, it doesn't uh, enhance the team in, in any way, shape, or form. It's a matter of a young leader saying, okay, I am the leader of this team for my organization. How do I earn the respect and trust of the members of my team uh, and without leveraging my authority. Mm. So that's one of those young, very young leadership challenges that I think that, you know, your experiences help mold you and guide you. And then you're like, now for you and I, I think we could build a team a little, I know for a fact, Ed can build a team now easier than he could when he was a brand new sergeant. And I think that that's the same thing in any organization, civilian, military, or whatever, is you you learn that over the years, your experience. And now I I have a bunch of tools in my toolkit. So, oh, those lunches that you talked about, well, that's not really working. So what else do I have? Oh, I have this. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. Fort Campbell had that leadership confidence course right outside. So stuff like that, paintball events, uh, you know, I did that at Fort Hood with my platoon, and it was a great team building event. So, those you you have so much in your toolkit now, but that day yes. that they said, "Hey, Web, hey, Sergeant Weber, you're in charge of these however many mechanics, you know, maintainers," you had no clue how 
to build a team your first, you know, when you first became uh, in charge. Oh yeah, so definitely. It's a leadership challenge to me. Oh yeah. And and when you said that within the tool bag, I think there's a lot of pieces to that. You know, we talked about the trust. We, I personally think before you go into organization, if you see something's wrong, before you can ever try to make the change, you got to get the trust of the people first, or there's going to be resistance to change. Because if you get their trust, then you'll understand how certain things affect individuals. And then you can actually target them in a sense. And I don't mean target as in like, you know, shoot them down. I mean, as in you can make the change effective within how they see things too. You can alter it slightly or you could ask, maybe they ask for opinions about what they think about this. I mean, there's certain ways to go out, but you got to get that trust, that leadership capital that we talk about. And that's where that personal power really comes in. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know, I was just thinking, so one of my moves, being military, it's a little bit different, obviously. One of my moves I, I love is when you show up to an organization and you've got these subordinates, you know, that are going to be your soldiers, and you pick up a mop and mop the latrine, they lose their mind with how much respect they gain for you immediately. Like, what is he doing? Why is he mopping? He's in charge. Uh, so it's something so simple. So in the civilian sector, you just got to figure out what is your mop? What is your simple thing that you could do that make them go, that that person is in charge of us, right? Like, what are they yeah. doing? Yeah. It's that easy to me, you know? Yeah, I think that's a form of humility, my friend. I just really like mopping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're going to jump into personal positional power real quick before we uh, get to the end of the show here. And what the author has to say here is, in contrast to personal power, positional power is simply authority automatically provided by a position or station. It requires zero effort, trust, or unit cohesion. And often leaders who rely solely upon their positional authority fail to improve their unit. Influencing subordinates using positional power causes them to accomplish tasks through intimidation or fear of repercussions. That fear of repercussions, the intimidation and fear of repercussions, you will know if that's going on in an organization because people avoid you. Straight up. There are people, and oh, yeah. I'm not going to say yeah. in what point in my career, I don't want to like pinpoint any one time or one person or anything, but I can say for sure, there are people that I have, I have uh, specifically avoided because I didn't, I, I knew there was never going to be a compliment from them. There was not going to, there was never going to be a, a, Hey, how you doing? They were just negative and they wanted to belittle you or they wanted to cut holes in everything you did, even though you put a, a lot of effort in stuff. So I purposely avoid those people because I'm not going to waste my time and my efforts to uh, deal with basically ne the negative Nancy's of the world who just want to make other people miserable, which I never understood it. I just don't understand why somebody else wants to make other people miserable. And I've had people in my career like that. You know, one of them, but I mean, it's just, there's a lot of them out there. Yeah. Yeah. And so this takes me back to when I w was in the army, like I talked about earlier, the first time in 91 to 95, this is how you led. This is how you led. This was the bottom line then. So we have evolved, right? Well, you know, we figured things out. But in that time period, it was very much, I'm the staff sergeant, go do it. It was no, you know what I mean? Like there was no yes. building a team. There was no personal relationships. Like that was out of bounds. You might 
So as a private, your Sergeant E5 may host a barbecue at his home, but anything senior to him, yeah, that wasn't happening. Any kind of off-duty time, that wasn't happening with any of these, uh, with anybody at that point. And it, it was. It was very positional. You know, I'm the first sergeant. I said do this. Well, this is ridiculous. And it was the same kind of rules now, right? If it wasn't safety or, or uh, illegal or moral, you had no excuse not to do it. So, uh, and, and you had more. That's why I think back then you wouldn't dream of talking to a first sergeant because you feared him. Why yeah. did you fear him? Because of positional power. You had so much fear as a private. You weren't, again, you weren't talking. You might talk to a staff sergeant. That's as high as you were talking. Anything above a staff sergeant, uh, which basically is your first line leader's boss, you weren't talking to him because you were afraid to talk to him. Um, and th- in that time period, right, in, in the 90s, in the 80s, probably that was what was needed at that time. This is a new generation. We've talked about many, many times. Uh, things have changed. I like the way things are now. There's some things that I miss from that kind of leadership, but mm-hmm. but I think uh, positional power, and I do think positional power still has a time and place. I think there probably are situations where it is necessary to execute based off of your position in an organization. But I also think it's like a one in 20 thing. If that, Oh, I, so I feel very much like you about, I don't like the idea of fear and whatnot, but to me, there are certain instances where people should have the fear, you know, as the first sergeant, I don't, I want people to be able to approach me and and have a conversation with me if they feel, or if they, so they can trust me, the, uh, that I'll take care of them. But at the same time, mm-hmm. I do want them to have the fear that if they're knowingly doing something wrong, they're scared. Yes. That to yeah. me, yeah. for instance, drinking and driving. If they're drinking and driving, oh, they better have the fear in them because I don't, I don't right. play that I game. Want, or yeah, I want them in my office about to pee on themselves if they got a DUI. Oh, yeah, I yeah, want yeah. them, they need to be scared. Yeah, they're, if they're if they're physically abusing their spouse, oh, they're going to be scared. All right, you know what I mean. Like that's that's when the that's when the personal power will turn into positional power real quick with me to create that fear. But those are what you consider as drastic cases. Those are not everyday occurrences. If if that's happening every day, then we may have to take a look at the leadership aspect of. Well, the standards of discipline, are the standards and discipline there? How are they being enforced? Are they being enforced through fear or are they being enforced through personal power? That's a key thing. I really believe that. It's how we, how we address people too. The fact that I will lean into somebody near their ear close enough and just make it a conversation between he and I or her and I uh, when it comes to making a correction for a deficiency shows that I'm respecting them enough that I'm not going to belittle them in front of everybody else. And they respect that. People want to have discipline. They want to be disciplined in a sense to a certain extent so they know they're meeting the mark. But it's just, I think there's a, there's a, there's a certain, it's not a fine line. I think it's very black and white or, or writing wrong. And once you go over on the wrong side, Hey, it's, it's full on, man. Um, Ed, we yeah. get this. Uh, we get it's this time stick. and place, like we said. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. But it's time and place, like like we said. There's scenario. It's scenario driven. What is the given scenario, and, and that determines if that um, 
you know, if it's a, a positional power is necessary, like you said, DUIs, yes. domestic assault, things like that. There are times for it. It's just, it can't be the end all like it was in the eighties and nineties no. for us as leaders. You know? No, no, it can't be. And I, I just, I think it's because we've evolved. We're evolving, constantly evolving as leaders and learning how to be better leaders. And we, and the funny thing is we learn it through history. You know, humility is not something that just all of a sudden started as leaders. Humility has been around for years. Uh, I can show you uh, many uh, areas where George Washington had humility, and that was many years ago. That, so it's not something new. It's it's been around a while. But hey, let's. Yeah. I want to hit this uh, this next quote, and then when we get into a little bit further about this positional power, because I really like what he says here about positional power. But this quote first: It is not only important to learn from great leaders but just as important to learn what you don't want to become by poor or toxic leaders. Back when I was a first sergeant, there was a command sergeant major in a nearby unit that was the type of leader that preached one thing but did the opposite. He used the power of his position and not the power of influence to frighten others into doing what he wanted. On a daily basis, this command sergeant major would talk down to soldiers, smoke close to the building, stand with his hands in his pockets, and continually use profanity towards soldiers. And while this was a negative style of leadership, it was important for me to witness because I don't ever want to become like that. Now, I completely agree with that. That's I, I think 21 years has gotten me to this point of of thinking that, you know, I, I mean, and I obviously I thought about this long before, but 21 years of seeing things and, and interaction, I've learned it better and better each time of I'm learning from those around me and I don't want to make the other mistake, the same mistakes others are making. And it's, you know, we're going to do a show uh, down the road and it's, it's really about, you know, can a tyrant really make you better? Well, I absolutely think a tyrant can. It's just you can only handle him for so long. But, you know, what do you think about what he had to say there, Ed? Yeah, well, we've also talked about this a couple of times on the show. So we kind of know where I stand on this. You can learn from somebody uh, from their negative example what you want to be and what you don't want to be. Um, I, I completely agree with that. I think that the question is, you know, when you say, oh, we're going to do the show about um, the tyrant, can we learn from a tyrant, right? I think it's one of those age-old questions, kind of like, are leaders born or are they made? I think it's right in line with that. It's mm -hmm. one of those things that just everybody has a different kind of viewpoint. Nobody's viewpoint is necessarily wrong or right. Um, I have learned from poor leaders. As a matter of fact, my organization right now uh, just had a changeover, not at a high level, but they, they had to make some changes because, you know, soldiers were being counseled for not being where they were supposed to be, but the leader wasn't attending those formations either. So wow. <laughs> you're counseling me for something you're not doing. Right? So that, that got nixed really, really fast. But those, those matter of fact, you know, Brian, I would tell you that the negative leaders I've had, I probably learned more from them than I have from the good leaders. Because the oh, good yeah. leaders are following stuff that's ingrained in you, right? Like, you know, you're taught, set the example, be the example. We're taught that throughout our career. So we know that's a thing. Um, what you pick up usually from a good leader is uh, ta tactics, techniques, and procedures for what they do. You know, like uh, let's you, you had that spreadsheet, you know, kind of figuring out who is going to 
berated where for NCOERs because you had so many uh, NCOs working for you. So that's something that you can take from a good leader that's not taught to us. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, uh, being where you're supposed to be where, in the right uniform, being where when your soldiers are supposed to be there, those type of things are things we just know. You see good leaders and you're like, well, that's an example of that, but that's great. Where on the other side, you know, these negative leaders, they give you so much new, you know, counseling people for being someplace, but they weren't there. Uh, you know, failing evaluations on the Army physical fitness test or things like that. Uh, uh, belittling, oh my goodness, calling your first sergeant the last sergeant, belittling oh, yeah. your senior leadership in front of soldiers. So there's so much more to choose from from the negatives because doctrinally, and and in the classrooms over our careers we're taught the other way and some of it's common sense leadership too so that's the other reason you don't learn as much in my opinion from a great leader because some of it is just some common sense stuff that whether you're a military or not you know i can't uh i can't write you up because i think is that the civilian term it's been a long time i can't write you up for doing something that I do too, you know, I can't write you up because you were five minutes late to work twice this week, but I'm five minutes late every day. That's common sense stuff. That doesn't mean you're military or, or, or whatever. That's a civilian sector. Absolutely. This is leadership truth. Oh yeah. None of that do as I say, not as I do type stuff. And you brought up you mentioned that, you know, you can learn more from a, a negative type one than a positive one. And I think I, I kind of have a hypothesis with that, Ed. And I think it is because when you have the good positive leader, you just keep trucking on, keep trucking on, keep trucking on. Mm-hmm. And you're constantly working and you're just doing anything. But when you have that negative leader, you you leader, you actually pause a moment and you're like, what? Wait, wait a second. That doesn't make sense. Why would you do <laughs> none? So you you yeah. actually take a pivot point there. Whereas if you have a good leader, you just kind of keep going and going. But I don't want to get too far into that because we're going to save some of that for the tyrant one. Uh, Ed, right here, he says, and this is, I like, this is the part that I, I, I really like this next little small paragraph. But he says, when people follow leaders because they have to, the leader only gains short-term compliance, not engagement. When this style of leadership is exercised, there is little incentive to work beyond immediate directions as their only personal goal is to uh, is to complete the minimum tasks required so as to not be punished this also results in a unit's top talent leaving as quickly as possible hmm. i i'm going to interesting <laughs> i'm going to proclaim that i have been in this situation i have been in uh, the the person who is just I, I, time to go. It is time to go or that person needs to leave in yeah. more than one time. Right. And I totally understand what that, that, that doing that, uh, the minimum tasks required. I, I, I sympathize with people that are in that position because I understand they don't want to be around that. They don't want to be around that type of individual. And it's sad. It really is. Yeah, no, I, you know, we, we, we we're recording here shortly. We're going to record uh talent management, right? And uh, this is one of the things that comes from poor talent management or poor resource or um, uh, poor performance management, whichever term you want to use, because I think in the civilian sector, performance management is probably a little more than talent management. 
or it's around the same. Um, this is one of the results, though, that that your unit's top talent leaving as quickly as possible. And I've seen this military where, you know, you have that old reliable horse and you beat the horse and you beat the horse and every task goes to that same captain over and over. And he's outside of his scope and his lane because you keep making him go outside of it and you burn him out. And then he's just like, I am so ready to go. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And why is he why is he getting all these taskings? Well, positional authority, positional power. His senior is saying, "Hey, knock this out. Hey, look into this." Um, a logistics planner should not be at the unit level. We're at a we're at a much higher level than you know the bottom line guys on the ground working level. But you got guys who are involved in their planning at that level. And and that makes them frustrated over time and space. And yeah, I absolutely have seen them where they're like, yeah, it is time for me. How can I get out of here? And the next thing you know, they're on their phone to their uh, branch manager or to their basically their <clears throat> their manager, and they're saying, hey, I got to go. Where can you send me next? Well, that connects very much to the very next part. Next part we're going into Ed, because Jim Harder. And Amy Adkins, they actually make a quote here that's workers want to feel connected to their jobs, managers, and companies. If those ties are not there, they have more incentive to quit. And then they further, they go on, just like you said, Ed, about so while soldiers can't up and just leave a unit as easily as a civilian can leave a workplace or whatnot, they can make sure they transfer out as fast as possible in order to find a unit whose leader does promote morale and motivation. I that's exactly what you just said. Mm-hmm. It's it's like as soon as I know my time is up uh, at this unit, I'm calling somebody to get me on orders to go to the next one until I can find a place where I feel comfortable. The sad thing is, is when you do yeah. you do finally find that place, and then all of a sudden that leadership leaves, and you're like, oh man. <laughs> Well, and then, so even I would imagine in the civilian sector, if you have a, so let's just say you're, you're working in the field of cybersecurity, right? I feel like if you're a high performer in your organization, your name is probably out beyond your organization. Right. So people are tracking your performance and who you are and what your credentials are outside that organization. So when the organization gets to the point where you're like, I am ready to go now, it's not like you're going to be hurting. I'm sure that you can call up, you know, if I work for company ABC, well, XYZ is looking for a cybersecurity lead and I'm calling and out I go. You know what I mean? And you may get more money and incentives to, to go because they're, they're wanting you to leave that organization. So that organization um, has damaged your loyalty, which Mm -hmm. is also something I think we're going to talk about in the upcoming episodes. Yeah, oh, that, yeah, that organization has, has damaged your loyalty uh, by mismanaging you and using positional power and caused you to want to leave. And now, you know, maybe maybe this company's been maybe XYZ has been calling and saying, hey, Brian, like we're really interested in your services. We'll give you ten thousand dollars more a year than what you're making now. But you're loyal to ABC. Oh, so yeah. you stay and I, you I, stay and then yeah. you get fed up and then you're like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Oh yeah, I remember uh, hearing about a study, and I can't. That's the problem is I can't remember where I heard it at, or is either I read it or heard it, and it, they talked about the fact that people. It may have been with you, um, and when one of the shows in the past, but <laughs> where uh, yeah, where 
people will actually take less money if they feel like uh, it's a better situation they're in. And it's like, huh, yeah. that makes sense. You know, I, I can, I basically can pay you less if you feel more comfortable, more feel, uh, and, and you enjoy being where you're working. Sounds like a kind of thing that I definitely would uh, want to engage as an employer, make, make it more comfortable anyways. Uh, but Ed, we're going to actually get into these characteristics of influence and it's, and it's only a few and it's not, it won't take very long to get through this and, and to finish out what he has to say within this article. But he says, all righty. When leaders create an environment for subordinates to express initiative, it allows the subordinate to feel a sense of empowerment. Empowerment's a big thing. I know when I was going through, Ed, when I was going through my, uh, my bachelor's program, there was actually a large section uh, within one of my courses that dealt mainly in just empowerment. And it just, and they just reflected upon empowerment and how you can do it and all these different things. And, you don't realize like how much there's a difference though, because some people tend to think empowerment means delegation and it's not the same thing because empowerment's really basically making them feel as if they're running the show or they're running this, not just, you know, just keep being given the work to do for you that you're going to take credit for. Uh, But right here, he says, Jake Herway from Gallup says, an organization full of employees who believe they belong is an organization full of, of employees who feel purposeful, inspired, and alive. In other words, engaged. And that's the whole point. It, empowerment actually creates engagement. Uh, and the, the many times that I've been in an organization where I felt that way, it's almost like I didn't just produce, but overproduced whatever it was. Uh, a good example. I was a recruiter for three years. When I was a recruiter, my first six months were very, uh, they were kind of miserable, didn't care for the leader that I had above me and uh, that I worked for. Um, and I just, I couldn't grasp onto things because of all the constraints he would put on me. Then I moved to another location and I stayed at that location really the rest of my time as a recruiter. But I moved and then I started learning different uh, tricks of the trade type thing from another guy who had the station I was at, but then he left. So I had it by myself. And once I had that, like I owned the place type thing, or, you know, I had ownership over it and I felt more empowered. I, that's when I really like ramped up production, you know, became top recruiter, you know, for the year and uh, for this, uh, the top small station, all these different things. And I was able to kind of, kind of take my game to a whole new level it got so to a point where I almost, almost considered to change over and be a permanent recruiter. <laughs> I almost did it. But then this is where they messed up. And this is where they complete. I, I would have stayed out there and I probably would have kept just going at it. I had one bad month. I overproduced the month before and I had one bad month. And when I say produce, so for instance, I had to have two people join the army. Instead, I got five people to join the army, which is a big feat in a sense, especially the time frame I did it. The very next month, I had zero because I had I didn't hold on to anybody for the following month because that happens. You're not supposed to do it, but it happens. And I had to go to this, what they call zero rollers training. And, and they just, the people would sit there. You had to do this round robin thing and people would like dissect all you're doing and stuff and telling you what you're doing wrong. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I was literally, I was just pretty much crowned the best recruiter in this entire battalion 
a couple months ago and I had one bad month, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just you you can't recognize sometimes people just have a bad time, you know, have a bad month, you know. But that completely changed my outlook. And I I went from being engaged and empowered, engaged to disengaged and ready, and just like it says right there, results in a unit's top talent leaving as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Right then, I told my wife, and she'll test to this, I'm ready to go. I'm done. I'm not staying here. I don't like how they, you know, how they're treating me, that type of thing. And some people may, oh, you're wanting no. There's a certain level of how you should treat your top performers. We've talked about this, Ed. You remember um, not too long back where you talked about Phil Jackson didn't treat Michael Jordan the same way he treated Tony Kukoc. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. You just there's. I mean, obviously, you 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 treat them both good, but some of them have earned a little bit more. You know, and you just but you have to be careful, and I understand. Uh, but that's how I can associate to that that whole idea of you know staying engaged. Yeah, no, that's actually uh, that's a really good example, and and I'm kind of glad that they uh, they did treat you like that though, because I mean, then you wouldn't have uh, you wouldn't have met me at the at the mighty hundred and first, and we wouldn't be doing this podcast, Brian. So yeah, probably not. Good things, good things happen out of it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so hey, I'm gonna uh, go a little bit further because then he actually. In this article, he, it's funny. We went through all this different stuff, but he only mentions these char- like these these characteristics one time. And it's just a little secession here. It's kind of funny. Uh, leaders are more capable of influencing subordinates by being persons of character, integrity, trustworthiness, and service. Now, if I think back, Ed, to people that I felt like were true inf- influencers upon me, positive influencers... I could tell you, I could probably explain to you, I could give you bullet points on their character, their integrity, their trustworthiness, and their service. And we, I mean, I already kind of mentioned earlier how much, you know, I loved working for Sergeant Major Brian uh, way back when. And I can't wait to get, uh, hopefully get a chance to do it again in the future. But I could definitely see that. And I bet you, you could probably see that in the same people you've worked for also, couldn't you? Yeah, I mean... So the integrity thing, you know, the the Sarm Major uh, Sarm Major right, he was often accused at the lower level. So some, you know, some soldiers, when you come in and you start doing things by the books and you start doing things doctrinally correct, you know, um, you can get a reputation. People don't like it, so they start lashing out. But I can tell you from sitting in so many meetings with him, having discussions with him, and working with him that the you know his integrity was beyond reproach. Like nobody was going to, he wasn't going to compromise it for anybody. So that was one of his big things. And, and because of that, because I knew he was going to be truthful and sometimes a little too truthful, um, but it builds that trust, which it's funny that that's also a negative thing to be too truthful at times, but it builds that it would build trust for me in him. So, you know, when other people were like, oh, he's this, he's that, I was like, no, no. I mean, there's a reason. The guy is still in the Army. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a, he's, he's a commandant at an academy. There's a yeah. reason for those things, and it's not a lack of integrity. It's, you know, he taught me, I told you before, he taught me the principle of a common enemy, and he was the common enemy. And some people, that was a good thing, uh, but some people, it was not. And they, they lashed out, and there was a lot of allegations that were unfounded that were made to try to get him 
basically they were trying to stage a coup almost in the unit to get him out of power because he was holding them to a standard uh, that they didn't like basically. So uh, the integrity thing, and he never wavered, you know, he didn't compromise his integrity. So, okay, well, you know what? I'll, I'll stop doing things the way I do business. Now he kept going. So um, I would definitely go back to work for him. Uh, but I don't think I want to go back to the engineers, which he's probably way beyond now. Oh yeah, uh, I, I'd go be on his staff at a brigade level, though. I, I, I 100% <laughs> would. <laughs> yeah, I bet you would. And you know, I thought about that too. About you know, people. <laughs> here's a good good words to live by for you army folk, not you civilians so much, but definitely you army folk. If you don't want to be on the cover of Army Times. Make sure you have a good positive character, have some integrity, worthiness, and service. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. uh, So, last part here. He talks about uh, model this way. This means if you want your employees to care, show enthusiasm, and appreciation, you must behave in the same manner. So, if I want my soldiers to show respect, I need to be respectful. If I want my soldiers to have loyalty, I've got to show that loyalty. I mean, I could go down through the whole row of army values and say, if I want them to do that, I need to show them and it needs to be physically seen. I can't talk about it, right? This Sometimes we, too many people that they talk to talk, but can't walk the walk. That's and that, yeah. that yeah. old Ric Flair saying? <laughs> no, no, it, it is, but it's also the great Dwayne Johnson who once said, don't just talk about it, be about it, or don't just sing it, bring it, or whatever way he was cutting a promo at that time. Yeah. That uh, said kind of the same thing, though. If you think about it, don't just sing it, bring it. Don't talk about it. Don't sing about it. Do it. Well, I mean, exactly. And one of the most important traits uh, an influential leader has is integrity. Integrity leads to trust. Trust builds influence, and influence fosters that commitment. So if you talk the talk, then you need to walk that walk and, and make sure you do it that way. So in conclusion, yeah. we're going we're gonna to sum it all up. This is what he has to say at the very end of this entire article, which, by the way, it's been a, I, I enjoyed this article uh, since I've read it a couple times now. When your subordinates accomplish their tasks because of who you are and not because of what rank you are, you have gained the ability to influence through personal power. Leaders who influence others with personal power lead by example and are the positive blueprint for others as they mature and become leaders themselves. As best-selling author and leadership expert John C. Maxwell once stated, a leader who produces other leaders multiplies their influence. That's, I couldn't, I couldn't agree with it anymore. You know? read, it, read it to me again, Brian. Read it to me again. A leader who produces other leaders multiplies their influences. Yeah, it's, I mean, to me, that's, that's that whole, that idea of being a force multiplier. Yep. I, I mean, I, I put it on NCURs before. When I've seen people that are good at it, I've actually put on uh, X amount of, Troop, blah, blah blah whatever a for a true force multiplier of the of the army you know type of thing and, and that's exactly the truth yeah no i i no i wanted you to read it again because it's also you know we talked about legacy that's really your leadership legacy right like if oh, i yeah. leave great leaders behind and and i'm a force multiplier but i'm leaving that that's my legacy is those great leaders that are like you know when when that great leader makes sergeant major and he says well i remember way back when 
I worked for Sergeant First Class Weber, and you know he taught me X, Y, and Z. Those, you know, those are legacy items. And then for you and I, right now, like when we every time we talk about the bearded ninja, that is part of his his legacy. And for him to have an influence on seniors, to me, that's even a bigger nod to his legacy. Like we're senior leaders. We both had 18 years in the military at the time when he comes into our careers, you know, 17, 18 years. And for him to be able to still have that kind of uh, impact, that speaks to the legacy of the Bearded Ninja. Brought to you by Bearded Ninja Beard Bomb. <laughs> now, hey, so what you said there, though, what really what you said there about his legacy, I, not only do does that support what we spoke about with influences your legacy, but I think it also supports the entire idea of the lifelong learning. Because not only are we... Are we uh, receiving, but we're also transmitting. And what I mean by that is we're receiving this information, we're receiving this new knowledge, and we're in an understanding, but also we're accepting the fact that we don't know it all, we don't have all the answers, and we're willing to learn and then to pass that on as our legacy also. Yeah. Perhaps, uh, perhaps maybe even in this show. I mean, and I would like to think that, uh, you know, that, that he uh, – demonstrate some lifelong learning in his dealings with us. Maybe he learned something from us too. Two old E7s in the army. Maybe he was like, you know what? That's interesting. So, I mean, and hopefully, because I know that he listens to the show, hopefully he learns from us each week a little something and keeps his lifelong learning streak going. <laughs> well, I do too. But with that, Ed, hey, we're, we're at the end of this show, man. So I've got a task and it's a pretty simple one pretty easy um episode 60 task use your personal influence to help somebody else in a positive manner by sharing this show with them and like i said before you don't have to share this show on your social media or anything i'm not asking you to do that what i'm asking you to do is you've probably listened to a few episodes by now and if you haven't this is your first episode i hope it's as good as you thought it would be but go back and check some of our previous episodes welcome to the team yeah, exactly welcome to the influencer community but what i want you to do is i'm asking you to pick out one of these shows that you really enjoyed and somebody else could benefit from build some trust with them right you know say you know hey listen i heard this instinctive influencer podcast this episode blah blah was really good and i'd like to let you uh know about it because i really think it kind of goes down the alley that you know you're you've been dealing with or maybe it's something you've been interested in that type of thing so what that does is that you create you're going to create trust because you're offering them something up for free one that's a big thing offer it up to them and then maybe even later down the road, discuss it with them after and see what they thought. And, and maybe uh, maybe they've come up with some really good ideas pertaining to the tasks of that show. And then they join the, the closed Facebook group and then they post a message and then other people see it. And now somebody else learns this from them. See how that thing trickles? That's how That's how we create an influencer community. So once again, your episode 60 task is to use your personal your personal power of influence in a positive manner and share this show with somebody else. Ed, I don't have much more for this show. Is there anything you wanted to round out with them? Well, I would encourage them to check our, our social media platforms out, one-on-one influence uh, on Instagram, Facebook. We're also both located on the Twitter 
and then of course our website um, for instinctive influencers, they can go in there, check those things out. <clears throat> they can see my embarrassing picture on the website that Brian insists on having up there. Um, <laughs> It's really not embarrassing. I don't care. I have a poodle. So what if I'm six foot four and I have a poodle? <laughs> but, uh, anyway, check those things out. And uh, your continued support is greatly appreciated by both of us. It keeps us uh, recording. It feels like every week now we're recording, but we're getting uh, we're building up our our stash again because Brian is going to be doing some traveling now and going to yeah. Be missing some weeks of being able to record yeah. and he's going to be reunited with his great and wonderful family. So we yeah. got to get ahead of the game. So yeah, well, we, we really encourage you to continue to support us. Ah, yeah. I'm very thankful. But with that, I am Brian. And I am Ed. This has been the Instinctive Influencer <laughs> Podcast. Remember, use your personal power before using your positional power. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.